uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and just going to read the one verse, verse 8 and it says I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Well, that's a, a quite a challenging Bible verse this morning uh, because of where it is pointing us to. It is not uh, just general teaching about, um, you know, maybe having faith in God that he will supply our needs and our food and our goods and chattels and things that we need in this world. This is something that's burrowing much, much deeper and the consequences of not understanding it are quite severe, as we will see in a little later on. Uh, the, the scripture there says, uh, Paul, Paul is saying, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Now I, I want to understand, I want you to understand here that this is talking about every place. It's not just talking about the occasional uh, groups that get together in very special places. This is every place. Every place the men are to stand up and to be the leaders and to lead everybody in the way of Christ. And we find that the Christian church is struggling in that particular area right across the Western world. Men are not stepping up to the mark. And Paul is instructing the men to stand up and to pray. Men in every place, he's saying, pray. Now, Paul is referring to a common attitude of prayer. And that common attitude uh, is uh, standing with hands stretched forth, uh, with empty palms uh, towards heaven, as though they're waiting for... Uh, to receive in them the blessing that is going to come from God or the blessing that the person is praying for. And if the attention of God is to be obtained, then the upturned hands need to be holy. God will never place his gifts in dirty hands. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 11 God's attention was gained when Moses held up his hands while Joshua did battle with the Amalekites down in the valley. You remember that occasion there, and you've probably read it a number of times. Now, hear what the record says in verse 11 of Exodus 17. And so it was, when Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalekite provide, the Amalekites prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, as you could imagine. Standing with your hands up in the air like this, how long could you hold your hands up? And pretty soon, the, the heaviness of your hands seems to uh, uh, pull the hands down. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat upon it and Aaron and her supported his hands one on one side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. 
So the scripture says, so Joshua defeated the Amalekites. So the imagery there is holy hands lifted up to the Lord. So what are what is what are we talking about about hands? In our text, Paul is referring figuratively to hands, these physical hands, and uh, much in the Old Testament is uh, is a figure or a shadow of something in the New Testament. And this particular occasion here is a figure and a shadow of something happening in the New Testament uh, with the work of the Holy Spirit in the individuals. So uh, hands equals habits. Hands equals hearts. Or it represents our lives. Um, It represents... um, it represents, represents the attitudes of our heart. That's what this is representing. Our lives must be right if we are to be successful in prayer. For what has, uh, what has stained our hearts will colour what we ask. Sin-stained hearts will not be received by God. Blood-stained hearts, that is, the blood of Christ, very much different because the Lord loves his people to be cleaned by the blood of Christ. And we read that in in, uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, don't we? About uh, the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all sin and so on. Even though holy hands first and chiefly means clean hands, it has a wider significance, which is something we need to uh, consider here this morning. And there is to be no stain from anything committed. In Psalm 66 verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now the word meaning there, we need to understand this word regard because that's a pretty important um, uh, word in that because it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So that's a pretty important word. So what does it mean? In its present context, the word regard portrays the ideas of uh, perceive, to feel, to understand, uh, to learn to enjoy, to approve, to respect, to gaze, to take heed. So there's a whole lot happening there with the word regard. If I regard iniquity, if I feel iniquity, if I understand iniquity, I'm not ignorant of it because I understand it. I understand it's there. If I learn iniquity, if I enjoy iniquity, if I approve of iniquity... Uh, If I respect iniquity, if I gaze upon iniquity, if I take heed to iniquity in my heart, this is what that one word is meaning. There's a whole lot packed in there, isn't there? And so we we must understand what the psalmist is saying there. He's warning God's people. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. To receive blessings from God, we see that Our hands must not be defiled. 
a passage in Isaiah, if you like to turn to Isaiah 59 and verse 1 to 3, illustrates this point very well. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through to 3. And uh, read that out. And the scripture says there, Isaiah 59 verse 1 to 3, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. That's uh, anger and violence and and, uh, the killing of other people and and so on. Uh, And your fingers with iniquity. Your lips uh, have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters, uh, mutters wickedness. Now, it can be read like this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not inadequate. It is not unable to accomplish the task. That's what the psalmist is saying there. He's not just commenting upon the negativity of the presence of iniquity. He deals with that. But he is, he is contrasting that, uh, the iniquity with the greatness of God who is able to deal with that sort of thing. And sometimes we feel overwhelmed by things that, uh, that crush us down, overwhelmed by temptations, overwhelmed by various things. But hear what, hear what again what, the psalm, uh, what uh, Isaiah is saying, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Right? He can reach where you are. Not so short that he can't reach you. And sometimes we might feel that we're so far from God that he can't reach us. Well, Isaiah is telling us he can. There's no place where God isn't. And so we see that, behold, the Lord's hand is not inadequate and it is not unable to accomplish the task. And that's an important thing for us as we, as we venture on the highway of holiness. There's a, there's a phrase in the Old Testament that uh, says that. The problem is not with the Lord. He is competent and abundantly adequate for the task at hand of dealing with our sin. Verse 2 in that uh, reading could could be like this, but there is something that stops God's hand and it results in the separation And God's response is that he will not hear of it. You see, the problem of sin is not so much the externals, but the attitude of heart. Um, Jesus scolded the the Pharisees and he used the the dirty cup as a as an illustration of what they were doing. They were polishing the outside of the cup up so it looked so lovely, but inside was all filthy. And so we're, we're seeing here that this is what uh, the, the, the Bible is talking about. 
the problem of sin is not so much about the externals because the sin doesn't start there but it's the attitude of heart the attitude at time might be expressed quite (coughs) imperfectly which may lead us to form a harsh judgment when we look upon somebody else's (coughs) behaviour and so on. Um, Like some people can be very judgmental of children and uh, and expect them to have the behaviours of an adult or or at least a child much older than than the particular child that, that is there. But we need to understand that God looks first of all first of all, upon the inside of the cup. He looks upon the heart of the individual. So, the attitude at times might be expressed quite imperfectly. What is uh, spoken against here is the visible action that correctly reflects the attitude of heart. It's what's happening outside correctly interprets what's happening inside. This is what has been spoken of here and warned against. So in verse 3, why does it happen? Well, there's the word perversity and uh, injustice. Uh, This word has great theological significance for it refers to behaviour contrary to God's character and against which he must act. He must act. Moses sings this. He sings the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness without injustice it would be unjust for God to reward sinful uh, sinfulness with blessings. That is why he must act. It is an unjust thing to reward bad behaviour. And so God is setting us an example there. That then is the importance of this word in, ref- in, uh, in relation to our subject this morning. We must never think lightly of sin. We must never think um, like the universalists think. Sin? Oh, well, that doesn't really matter because we're all going to get there anyway. But that is not so if you read the scriptures correctly. If I uh, choose to allow sin to be in my life, I choose against God. And this is what uh, the reference in uh, Psalm 66 is talking about. If I regard iniquity, if I love iniquity, if I like it, if I pursue it, if I, uh, if I feel it and like it and learn it and enjoy it and respect it and gaze upon it, then God must act. God must act upon us. So, what about the universalists? He says, well, sin, it doesn't really matter because we'll all get there anyway. Well, try and tell that to Adam and Eve, that it doesn't matter. So, it does matter. Wherever there is defiance of authority, the one who has authority must act accordingly or that one loses authority. 
That is why Isaiah warns God's people against trifling with sin in any of its selfish uh, and self-centred forms and ways. He says prayers are not answered. It's not because God's hand is inadequate or shortened, as the scripture said here, but rather that our hands or our hearts are defiled in some way. Guy King uh, says in relation to granting the blessing, not sure that I agree entirely with his first phrase here, but he says uh, God's hands were tied because their hands were dirty. Well, I understand what he's meaning there. He's not taking away the sovereignty of God, I don't believe. But he has, uh, he has limited himself to acting according to his law. Let's be sure that we understand sin-stained hands uplifted to God are lifted in vain. God does not recognize, sorry, rejoice in denying the blessing. He cannot reward sin with blessings lest he be guilty of planting choking weeds within his own flower beds. The same prophet who tells us these things also tells us in Psalm 51 and verse 7 that there is only one prayer God will hear from, a, from one stained with sin. And this is encouraging. And it says, wash me and I will be white as snow. The next thing that we see is that our hands can be cleaned. There are times when people have been involved in sin that they feel that that stain is going to be there forever, that it is so ingrained into them that they are so guilty of it that they could never not be guilty of it. Now, in, in, uh, in that theological word, justified, really, when we come to Christ and we are cleansed of our sins, it's just if I had not done them. We are justified. And the psalmist is telling us that our hands can be clean. And this is so encouraging for us, especially in, in this uh, very technologically driven world where information is thrown at us every step of the way. Every time we look around, there's some wicked thing being presented to us. The psalmist tells us again in Psalm 26 and verse 6, I will wash my hands in innocency. And that must be done if ever we hope to gain the favourable attention of God. Thank God that he has made it possible for us to lift up washed and holy hands unto him. The concept of washed hands is symbolic, of course. The real thing is a cleansed life, free from the power and the guilt of sin. And we've sung in some of those songs that same idea this morning. Don't think these uh, few thoughts could not apply to any one of us here today. King David, a man after God's own heart, fell into the most terrible series of sins and he needed to be humbly 
confessing his sin. And he asked God to remove, sorry, to renew his spirit and to cleanse him from the stain of sin. And guess what? God did restore him. What a wonderful God we have. Our sin-stained hands can be cleaned. Still a step further. There should be no slur from anything omitted. We are often forced to confess that while we have done things that we ought not to have done, we have also left undone things that we ought to have done. And it has been said in reference to the text uh, that's at the beginning of our study today that holy hands are hands which have committed no impiety and which have observed every sacred duty. So we need to be careful not only about those things that we do but those things that we should do that we don't do. That we don't follow through on those committed things that God has called us to do. Bear it in mind that a slur is cast on our hands and our hearts by every wrongful omission. Where there are duties left undone, we lose the power of prayer. And many a time when people have been engaged in prayer, they have been wasting their energies. They've just been rolling words off their lips. And they would have been better off to go out and fulfil those things that they ought to have done in the first place. That sort of thing has cast a slur on the reputation and on the witness and on the experience of not just a few believers and has quite definitely brought discredit upon the Master's name. Such God will not hear. On the other hand, where there are no duties left out, we have such power in prayer. And that is a very remarkable word that is given through John. Whatsoever we ask, this is in John, uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So we're not only following his law, the commandments, that law of God written on our hearts, that great commandment of loving God with all our heart and our neighbours as ourselves, that we not only follow his commandments, John is saying there, but we do those things that are pleasing to him. So important. When the hands are busily occupied in doing whatever God has required us to do, whether the things be done by spiritual or secular, then in that respect they are holy hands. And we have secular things to do out in the community. And we need to do those things with holy hands, remembering that uh, injunction in Scripture, <coughs> do everything as unto the Lord. Then in that respect, 
They are holy hands. And they may be lifted up in prayer, as somebody said, with happy expectancy. I like that term, don't you? With happy expectancy. Irrespective of what you think of uh, the uh, interview with um, uh, the, the royal couple overseas, there was something in there that delighted my heart when they talked about the little baby coming. And there was such joy. All the other stuff, the hurt and the pain and the sense of whatever that they were experiencing, all that seemed to dissipate and go away. And they, they in, just were so engrossed in the joyfulness of having this little baby come along. A happy expectancy. Most remarkable state of mind to be in. And you and I, when we can come to God with holy hands lifted up, and you understand I'm not meaning the physical hands, I'm meaning the life, the heart, the attitude, the intellect, the emotions and the will. That's our... That's makes up our heart. Did you know that? And I can show it to you in Scripture. Because that's the description of God's heart. It's the description of your heart. What do you do with your intellect? What do you do with your emotions? What do you do with your will? These are the things that God wants us to have the attitude of holiness and that happy expectation that God is good all the time and that he is going to reward his people. Finally, what do I do if God has spoken to my heart today? One, go and read 1 John 1 verse 8 and 9 again. And remember, the first point you should see there is don't lie to God. Don't lie to God. He reads the hearts. He reads the thoughts on the hearts. So there's nothing that you can keep from him that he doesn't already know. So why do we confess it? Well, it's not to enlighten him. It's that we might be humbled before this holy God who rightfully demands holiness in his people. And we humbly submit to his loving care and his cleansing as we confess our sin to him. Not just our sin, but our great need of him. We sometimes get so caught up in, oh, I did this and I did that, or I didn't do that and didn't do that. And it's good to deal with those things. But there's a far greater thing. Oh God, without you, I'm lost. That's where, that's where all the confession starts, is a submitting to the great sovereignty of our Lord and our Saviour. So don't lie to God. Then confess your sin. Confess it to him, that you might hear it in your own ears and that you might recognise your great need of him 
Then in Acts 3 and verse 19 and John 3 and 36 and one and John 1 and verse 12, I'm glad you quickly wrote those down, uh, we see that we are to repent. Turn away from those things. But you know, the word repent there also means to be sorry enough to turn away from those wicked things. I no longer delight in those things, but I, I look upon them as if I had been carrying around the rotting carcass of a rat in my pocket. Oh, I'm so sorry that I carried that into your presence, Lord. So we repent and we turn away from those things. Then in one John verse, sorry, John one and verse twelve, we receive and we believe. We receive Jesus Christ into our lives. And we believe and we trust in him from that moment forward. So in our instruction from Paul to Timothy and down to us today, Paul is saying, I desire then that in every place the men, talks about women in another context in the next verse or two, but he is he's directly singling out men. And if that was meant to be a generic term, meaning men and women, then I think he wouldn't have, in the next verse, then started talking about women, what women should do. But men, men, he's saying everywhere, men, lift up holy hands in prayer. Not in anger, not in quarrelling, but lift them up in prayer. So I call you today, all of you to follow the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy today and of course down to us that we might be bold in what um, uh, uh, Paul is saying so may the Lord bless you and may he help you to work some issues through if you are struggling with some things and may he bless and strengthen your spirit And as you humble yourself before him, remember, he will cleanse you. He will cleanse you. Amen.